Hey there, we're those sci-fi guys. This is at those sci-fi guys show. Just two working dudes, different jobs, different lives, but a whole lot of love for science fiction and the fun that comes with. We are your hosts. I am PS McKay. And I'm DT Cavman. Thanks for stopping by. We'll see you next week. There we go. I didn't provide anything nice or, or you know, interesting for you to comment on. That's and the that's entire the reason why we have the show. <laughs> so, well, how's it going, DT? It's been a while since we last talked. It has. I appreciate uh, the, the shift of uh, one day. It's uh, work this week's been a little nuts. So, um, took the opportunity of the extra hours of sleep last night that I wouldn't have got anyway because uh, I had to go in at, I had to wake up at four today. So it was two Oof. hours earlier than usual. So, Oof. Oh. oh, that's a rough, that's a rough plod. It is. I understand you saw Dr. Strange this weekend. I did. Now, I haven't, and I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to in the theater, which I, I'm going to try, but um, non-spoiler, what'd you think? Just overall. I enjoyed it. Uh, it was, there were some, well, the one thing I will say is that I think this might be the first where you see an actual impact of a TV show on a movie uh in the marvel universe yes because that's interesting well, we finally we, get to see that we get to see that it's all connected situation right because you get the payoff from <laughs> wandavision you get to see fallout from that right right as opposed to agents of shield which was always reacting to the movie universe I know it was filling in a lot of blanks in like the first two, first uh, two years, definitely. The third, and then it kind of started to fade as the third and fourth seasons. And I mean, oh, by the end of the third season, they're like, we're just doing our own thing. Forget it. Well, that's because they weren't (laughs) getting any love from Kevin Feige and the movie people, which is very disappointing because they did some pretty. They did some pretty good tie-in stuff oh, yeah. uh, in the first couple of years. Like you, you, Phil Coulson and his Shield Underground were the ones who actually got the Helicarrier back in business for the rescue in Age of Ultron. But they only showed that after the fact with the movie. Well, they actually had a, a Project Theta. Yeah, but they had a couple of, uh, they had like a Maria Hill cameo. That's true. Leading up to it, where they basically sent the, they set the stage where um, they find out where Loki's scepter is. Right. And that gets fed to Maria Hill, who, of course, feeds it to the the Avengers. That was a little more proactive, meaning that they probably had, well, since Jed Whedon was the guy behind Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at the beginning, 
Right. And Josh was still directing Age of Ultron. He's probably saying, hey. There was a little bit more camaraderie. what's going to happen. Yeah. Not, yeah. not quite like when uh, Captain America Winter Soldier blew up the premise of the show. <laughs> well, yeah, it was. I think was it Joss Whedon was told he was like, I think he went to uh, Feige, and he and Feige was like, so what's your what's your project with ABC? And they're like, oh, we're gonna do an Agents of Shield show. And he's like, that's great. Just so you know, we're blowing up Shield in Captain America too. And so Joss is like, okay. <laughs> they did a great job with that. Oh, it was they great. Really did the that was the best part of season one for the most part. That was, was really when it started to come together. Right. It was really good. I mean, you're right. It was like it was Monster of the Week, basically. Before kind that. of yeah, it was Mission of the Week with. You know, some background like, oh, there's something up with Sky, and, you know, she there's something more to her. And then, of course, it's always, they were trying to find, you know, Coulson was the whole deal with how he was resurrected. Of course, both of those basically got taken care of in the first two seasons, but. Right. <laughs> Agents so, of but... S.H.I.E.L.D. did Ghost Rider pretty well, too. Yes, they did. I enjoyed that version of Ghost Rider a lot. Me too. I thought I wouldn't because, and this is a stupid reason, I'll admit. I thought I wouldn't because I'm like, he rides a car? Come on. But <laughs> Well, I mean, that that was a later version of I know, character, I know. Which is, it was good. But, I liked the Robbie they, Ray as Ghost Rider. No, it was fantastic. But they did allude to the Nick Cage version of Ghost Rider. With him riding up on a on a motorcycle, um, well, mostly Ghost Rider, uh, the Johnny Bla- what was it Johnny Blaze? Johnny Blaze. Well, yeah, that was his general ride. That's kind of the whole point of Ghost Rider, <laughs> as opposed well, to Ghost Driver. Well, that's I know, yeah. So, but I I, I saw that callback, and this was like several episodes into the Ghost Rider storyline, and I saw that I'm like, oh, that's that's neat. But I was already. Was that really season... liking that version of Ghost Rider? That was season four, right? Yeah, it Where was they like went right in when... like basically like pods, right? It was like one pod was like the Ghost Rider pod, and then there was the LMDs, the, the LMD pod, right? And then there was the basically the Matrix, where it was like basically agents of Hydra. Yes, that, I think that was three pods in one season, wasn't it? There was either three or four, you know, they had like. It was was good. I have so much to watch. I can't even go back and watch those, you know, like. (laughs) You you know, when they 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 kind of pulled the plug on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when they were getting ready to do all the Disney Plus series. What I did like about their final season was they're like, all right, so they're basically overriding everything. Well, mm-hmm. then we're going to go ahead and connect to Agent Carter and make sure that lives. What do you mean? Because Agent Carter was produced by Feige. I know, and I loved Agent Carter, which is why you got James Darcy as uh, uh, Jarvis uh, in the flat in one of the the uh, time periods when uh, in the seventies with Howard Stark. I misunderstood which point of view you were talking about. 
I thought you were talking about the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. point of view. Right, but they brought on Daniel Souza from uh, Agent Carter in the last season. Oh, well, I haven't seen the last season. So. Oh, well, I'm not spoiling anything. No, I, I don't worry about it. It's been, what, they aired two years two years ago? So yeah, I think spoiler alert. I was, I was actually are... watching episodes in the, in the ICU. I'm trying to see now if Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is still on Disney+. Plus. It is. Yeah. Well, now I just want to see it for comfort reasons. Yep, there it is. The, Agents um, of S.H.I.E.L.D. was a show that deserved better. It got seven seasons, man. I know, but it just never got the love from the Marvel Cinematic Universe it truly deserved. Yeah. I, I get you, but it got love from ABC. ABC loved it, and well, it had a pretty loyal fan base, mm-hmm. which actually got stronger despite the fact that you know it lost most connectivity with the actual MCU. But they developed strong characters. There's been rumors that you that. Um, uh, Chloe, Chloe Bennett is going to might show up in a future MCU project as Daisy Johnson. I'm still on board with bringing Min Na Wen back as Melinda May in anything. Oh yeah, because I mean, she's Ming Na Wen. Right. I, I I I am unabashedly unashamed of saying I'm a mingling. <laughs> That's what well, she calls her followers. She's. She's awesome. Obviously, <laughs> folks, you can tell we love Ming-Na Wen. We talk about her quite a lot. Um, big fans. She's one of those people who's only getting better. Well, let's see. She was in Stargate Universe. Mm-hmm. She was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She's in Star Wars. She was the voice of Mulan. Mm-hmm. Um, not only does she have the trifecta uh, in the Fett. Disney world, yeah. but no pun intended. But she trans transcends uh, major sci-fi franchises. So, and when she guest stars as a, an admiral on uh, Strange New Worlds, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, shall we get started on what our true subject of the day is? It's a great segue. Strange uh, it, New Worlds. You did it. <laughs> I think that one of the things, folks, that we've, we've talked about is how Anson Mount has been, was definitely one of the biggest highlights of early seasons of Discovery. Damn it. Now I knew what my intro line was going to be. My intro line was, I wish I had hair like Anson Mount. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all wish we had hair like Anson Mount. His hair is getting better. That's not it is. fair. <laughs> it's not fair. It's not fair. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off. Well, did you bring up a valid point? <laughs> that we love Anson Mount. Oh, he's he's excellent. In fact, even though the show was complete horseshit, he was actually decent in 
the Inhumans. Yep. Oh, yeah, he kind of transcended major sci-fi franchises, too, didn't he? Sort of. Star Wars. I don't know if he was in Doctor Strange, so I'm don't not tell me. Star Trek. Um, yeah, Marvel and Star Trek. Uh, oh, and a really kick-ass fucking Western. Which Western was that? Hell on Wheels, bro. I oh, that. we did talk about that. Christopher yeah. Pike and Miles O'Brien as the two leads. And <laughs> how, can, how can you go wrong? No, you can't. <laughs> Something I definitely have to look into. I said that before. I'll say it again and again. So it's definitely worth the watch, man. If if you like Anson Mount as Christopher Pike, then I I think you'll like Anson Mount in this in this show. I mean, if you like Anson Mount, period, I think you'll like him in this show. Well, let's let let me just say this, okay? Star Trek New World, Strange New Worlds, mm-hmm. was created specifically because of the audience reaction to Anson Mount's portrayal of, of Pike in Season 2 of Discovery. And there was favorable reactions to Ethan Peck as Spock and Rebecca Romaine as number one. Correct. Correct. The, the overall uh, reception to them was... Probably more than people were expecting, to be honest with you. Oh, very much so. And And they have good chemistry together, the three of them. Correct. And they had no plans, no plans to visit the Enterprise. It's been said very publicly. They had no plans to visit the Enterprise. Um, But something happened where (laughs) everyone loved Pike. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they're like, well, we can't ignore that. So this he happens was, now. He, he, was, he was the captain we probably didn't deserve but needed. Okay. We, uh, yeah. The, the fan base at that time was so rough that it probably didn't deserve Anson Mount as Christopher Pike. But it needed. Uh, eh, I don't know. A fan base that gets beaten down. <laughs> Let me Call say lots this. Of names. <laughs> I have been as ex- I have been excited since it was announced that they were doing Strange New Worlds. We've you've heard me mention it several times. Oh, and yeah. after two episodes, I am not regretting my anticipation. I am no. very much enjoying it. Um, and before we get into it, I just wanted to bring up the point because you sidetracked me. Where did Anson Mount come from? I mean, he's I I, I mean. He's, he was. You said he was great in uh, Hell on Wheels. Hell on Wheels. You said he was great in the in Humans show. He was good. And you, you and obviously, obviously, he came out of left field when it came to Discovery. Uh, just completely. Mm-hmm. Where has this guy been? Ah, uh, your your favorite uh, chick flick. He made he made one of his earliest appearances in Crossroads. Oh God, where he was in Britney Spears' Crossroads. Yes, he was. Wait a minute, Dan Aykroyd top billing Crossroads. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay, 
Is he from Canada? No, he's from the South. Oh, interesting. Because Canada's got that rule. If you do productions in Canada, you have to have a certain percentage of Canadians, like a majority of them, be in that production. He's an American actor. Yeah, born in Tennessee. Yep. Oh, son of a bitch, I saw a spoiler. So here's one of the things why... (laughs) In his filmography. Oh, don't do that. Uh, Did I tell you about the spoiler I had with uh, Spider-Man Far From Home? Uh, uh, With Talos? Oh, yeah, you did mention that, yeah. Yeah. Shit happens. (laughs) Totally random, I'm just looking up wikis. And then they mentioned that. Yeah. That movie had been out for a week. I've gotten myself into trouble with that before. So check this out. Anson Mount's father was one of the original editors of Playboy magazine. Oh. His great-great-grandfather was a Confederate cavalry colonel in the Civil War, which I'm sure led him to playing the lead. I'm sure that was probably part of his motivation behind playing former Confederate officer Colin Bohannon in Hell on Wheels. Well, how how much do you think he talks about that ancestry right now? (laughs) Maybe not, but right now he's riding high. He is. He is. He's talking all about how much he loves being Christopher Pike. So that's all he needs to do. Well, I mean, I find him to be a very genuine and likable person as well. And and I'm I'm keeping my guard up, but it's really hard with Anson Mount. (laughs) It's really hard. (laughs) In his interviews, I mean, even his portrayal of Pike is just so damn likable. Uh-huh. I mean... In episode two, the the you know the dinner at the captain's quarters opens up the door just like ah. I shit you not. I I have seen moments like that. You know the, <laughs> the military things like ah, they had you doing that, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That 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 was an army moment right there. That flashback. Yeah, I bet it was. Oh, well, the hey, you know you gotta go to the, we're we're all going to the boss's house, you know, gotta bring you know <laughs> gotta go gotta show up in your dress uniform i've I've heard of that one before that is not that is not unique to this episode it's all the dumb stuff that they try to get soldiers to do uh one of the fun things that they like to give to brand new soldiers is ask them to go to supply and look for chemlight batteries chemlight batteries, really you know what a chemlight what? is. A glow stick. It's basically yeah. a heavy-duty glow stick. Like, okay. hey, you need to go get the chem light batteries. And when a, <laughs> when a scary-looking, crusty sergeant tells you to go do it, and you're an 18-year-old kid right out of basic training... You go well, do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're up there going from Rite Aid to Rite Aid. Yeah. That's a seasonal item, man. No, not to Rite Aid. You go to the supply clerk. Oh, the Army you go down Industrial to, You version. go down to Supply, and you go... And they get sick of that kind of shit. And then, or oh, when sure. they hey, hey, go down to maintenance and ask for Alpha 55 lube. What is that? A, 
five five lube. The fives might look like different letters. Might look like letters. Oh. Oh my. Now I I never sent any soldiers down <laughs> on any of these kind of missions. But I definitely did catch people doing it. Or oh boy. One of the most famous ones in the armor community is having a new guy go out and with a hammer and test the uh test the armor. And put a and give him a piece of chalk and like have him put X's where he thinks the weak spots are. <laughs> it makes a different sound. It's a weak spot. Yeah. <laughs> Some of these things are frowned upon more and more. Uh, but it's one of those things where if you see a soldier out there with a hammer and a, and a, and like a, a grease pan or a piece of chalk hitting the side of a tank. <laughs> You're going to have that same look Chris Pike had. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Stop. Have Dress stop. uniform. They did that to you, huh? <laughs> that was such a great reaction. That was such a human reaction. It was. I'm really it was loving about. Yeah. Human reaction. I mean, like, he actually felt jovial. Like, he, he left at her, her falling for it, but he was also on her side trying to say, huh. They did that again, huh? Yeah. <laughs> All right, it happens. <laughs> like, well, I really like his command style. I mean, you saw it in... You saw it very much in... Um, uh, in season two of Discovery. You know, how he tried to... He was... Try, I mean, you go back to that scene on the bridge where he's, like, showing, like, his failing test score from whatever astrophysics or something um no i don't i don't recall season two very well at all i know i liked him mm -hmm. but don't yeah don't expect me to remember a scene like that well basically he was showing like the the senior crew of discovery is like look everybody has off stuff it's like nobody's perfect right it's like look i made it, i made it to be captain of the enterprise and I almost, you know, I, I had a rough spot at the academy. What you did see in Strange New Worlds, which in some ways felt a little bit like a, or not um, in season two of Discovery, that kind of felt close to Jeffrey Hunter's version, was the guilt. The guilt he felt of being out on the frontier rather than fighting in the Klingon War. Much like how Pike was feeling guilty over the deaths on an away mission prior to the Talos Four expedition, you know, when he and his doc are drinking the beginning of the episode. Yeah, and they have, and then he gets the hallucination about the attack again. Right. So you you're seeing a man in at a crossroads. Unfortunately, what you get with Pike is he's got to, he's got. Guilt and PTSD a lot, but he he's finding ways to fight through it, which is 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 interesting. Well, uh, it makes him. Uh, I got to use my words carefully here. Um, human. It it well, it's more than that. It makes him aspirational in a sense because he's got a control of that and relatable. Right. 
right? He he. I mean, he suffers from it. He deals, but he also deals with it constructively. He's you know? trying. You're trying at the very least. So let's let's do a quick review of the first episode here. Things you like, things you didn't like. I'd love to know the things you didn't like. And then, uh, hey, you know what I what I did like from the very beginning of the episode where. Uh, basically where he's, he basically said, uh, you know what? I would like to tell everybody to go watch Hell on Wheels, so I'm going to ride a horse and wear uh, a beard. My God. <laughs> and then I'm going to bang Winona Earp. Oh, there you get are. My West, and go get my, my, uh, my, my Western shit out of the way at the very beginning. But of course, that fits in with Pike's character, because he... He that was some of the dream sequences in the cage was he, you know, he grew up on a ranch or something and out in Nevada. Well, Jeffrey Hunter was a Western actor. That too, and that was of course, you know, that's uh, back when westerns were all the thing back then. Right. They, they were this. They were the equivalent to the cop procedurals, the medical procedurals now. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wonder if the. I wonder if they're uh, jumping on board that, uh, hey, let's go film everything in Montana kick right now. Because that, wasn't that where they were in Montana? <laughs> no, no, I think they were in Alberta. Nah, I think it... It took place in Montana. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, so they, they filmed it? Okay, well, whatever. They're, they're filming this whole thing in Canada. Oh, well, then that was July in Alberta. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> now Alberta is very much like the the plane is the planes, so right. Uh, but right. Uh, anyway, it, it was um, an interesting opening where you have like basically like the definition of like first contact, and you kind of see an alien species reacting to something in their atmosphere. And, and we uh, see we see a ship commanded by Una. What a yes. what a clever name for number one. <laughs> so we have Una commanding this ship, and she gets they get captured essentially. I, I I forgive me. I'm not too familiar with how they got caught. I mean, they used like a warp bomb. Okay, so basically the the plot is is Pike's it, this it takes place like I don't know something within a couple of months after season two of Discovery when the Discovery disappears, everyone's put on lockdown and the Enterprise is going in for refits and repairs. So Pike's on extended leave. He's suffering greatly from the revelation of his forthcoming death in a, in about a decade. So he's um. Trying to figure out whether he even wants to go back to the Enterprise. But number one and, uh, you know, uh, was asked to go investigate a possible first contact aboard the aptly named USS Archer. Which I'm not sure if it's Jonathan or Sterling. Either way, I approve. Mother. Aw. Anyway, I didn't realize how sad that would be to say that. Yep. 
So, phrasing. Yeah. We're not doing phrasing anymore. No. Anyway, uh, so you get, you seeing the crew is kind of spread out a little bit. It's kind of like family. It's kind of like, what, what was the episode after, uh, you know, at the start of season four of Enterprise, like home or something like that? Family. No, that was that was next gen. But Enterprise did the same thing. Basically. Oh, after they got back from Nazi Germany. Yeah, it was home. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Trip and Paul go to Vulcan. Uh, Archer goes climbing. Um, Does he go to Utah for that or? I don't know. It's, a not, it's an unnecessary question. Forgive Probably me. California because that's where everything was shot. <laughs> but uh yeah you you get that um and you know the rest of the crew all kind of like muddled around on earth and stuff but it, it, this is kind of like that you know it's like a where where's everybody at spock's on vulcan linking up with his betrothed pikes kind of wallowing we, and, we've established that, yeah. And Una is on this first contact mission. I guess they went to, they found signatures, of, uh, you know, they found hints of, you know, warp signature. So they go to investigate, and I think they beamed down and got captured or something like that. So now we get the first live action uh, Admiral appearance April. of Admiral Robert April, the first captain of the NCC-1701 Enterprise. His first officer was one Christopher Pike. And so April is back to, to bring Pike back. He's like, I don't know, I'm still on extended leave. She's like, He's like, uh, yeah, Una has gone missing on a first contact. He's like, okay, I'm back for her. You know, at least temporarily. Right. And so he calls Spock and caught him uh, mid-coitus. Unnecessary, coitus. by the way. Unnecessary. I, we didn't need to see that. They could have just shown him shoulders up. He was, he, he Spock blocked Spock. I know. Uh, and yes, we know Spock is good at blocking. But, but just, it was Spock's turn this time. I found I found I found that to be gratuitous personally, but <laughs> but that's me. That's my thing. So he calls up Spock. They go. They assemble the crew, and then we gather most the well most of the crew because they're not all ready yet. They're not all arrived. Mm -hmm. um, Still, they head over. They weren't able to. They, they weren't able to pick up Lieutenant Kirk yet either. No. Nice little bait and switch there. Yeah. So, so tell, tell me the guy doesn't come out looking like uh, Sam Rockwell, you know, he is Sam at, the Rockwell. Of, at the at the Galaxy <laughs> Quest. <clears throat> Sam Rockwell would have been a huge get. I would have loved. I love Sam Rockwell. <laughs> He's the best ever since the way way back. Which that was me when I really first discovered him. I know he was in Iron Man two and everything, and a lot of other things. He was great in Iron Man two. I hope he comes back in in uh, Armor Wars. 
Uh, he better. But, um, all right, so they gather the crew. They head over to this planet. They find the USS Archer just floating there. No life signs, no evidence of, of uh, biological matter. So Enterprise. crew's not dead. Archer, this is Enterprise. Archer, this is Enterprise. Damn it, Archer. <laughs> oh, God, that's like the, the second. Is this the second reference? For third? This is the third reference to Archer. Are we going to do one more? Do we need to get that out of your system now? It's coming, and you won't. Oh, God dang. Gosh dang. All right, but fine. You eat, but you get Pike, and you get to see a little bit more of Pike's interaction with Spock, how much trust he puts in this guy, which is why he was willing to go off on the wild goose chase um, in season two of Discovery. We're like, yeah, Spock doesn't murder people. So, yeah, let's let's go. <laughs> All right. So let's speed through the plot a little bit faster so we can talk about the things we like. And right. The things we don't so like. basically you have and, and uh, so they get to this planet where they find that there's kind of been a centuries long civil war. And I wouldn't call it a civil war, just like a war between nations, basically. No, that's really like two sides. What is a war? Depends on the war. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right. Ben, so been to one. Yeah. All right. That's one more than I have. Okay. <laughs> but. Um, so, yeah. So it, it's basically an ongoing like. Inter, you know, in, intraplanetary conflict that's been going on forever. And turns out they didn't develop warp drive. They developed some sort of warp bomb based on long-range telescope images of the battle against control, which was only a few light years away from this planet. So technically, the Enterprise, Discovery, and everybody else... Um, started, you know, uh, unintentionally uh, sped up the technological aspects of this society. And you have one fraction, uh, one faction in this war has this weapon that they're going to, like, use, and they don't know how to use it. And basically, after the attempt to rescue number one and the crewman kind of takes a left turn with, you know, the uh, failing of the, the disguises. genetic modification. Yeah, the genetic modifications and disguises. Uh, Pike basically turns himself over to the authorities and he says, take me to your leader. Because, of course, at the very beginning, he's watching the day the earth stood still, the old 1950s classic Mm -hmm. well and it it has to be because they can't they can't pay for the money for the keanu reeves version which (laughs) they wouldn't do that anyway they're gonna go to the original the original actually did talk about uh nuclear war whereas keanu reeves talked about climate change i think so it would have been it would have been a muddled message if they used the keanu reeves one Anyway, Pike basically reveals to himself what's going on, and 
and he's trying to get him, but he's like, look, we, we got to get you to the table. And when they finally get them to the table, you know, he beams down. He's his usual like, charming Hi. self. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like the Joker. You know, he's yeah. like his Joker. He's like, Hi. Hi. I got that kind of <laughs> creepy vibe there for a second. But he then then comes the ham-fisted message of the day. Uh, it was a it was a little heavy-handed, but basically he's saying political strife on Earth led to civil war, which precipitated which tied in with the past with the eugenics wars as well as all these things that led to World War Three that led to nearly nuclear uh, elimination of Earth. Right. So and he then, basically says, you guys are on that path, so if you want to do that... Fine. Fine. Or do you want to come join the Federation? Which probably could have been said a little differently, but for simplicity's sake, yes. Um... And then that ends. He leaves with with it In being old implied. Star Trek fashion. Yeah. They leave. And they yeah. will never return, I'm sure. Yeah. Or there or a planet's never mentioned. They have no they add no value to the Federation whatsoever except in their tax dollars. Which we don't even know how that works. You know, so. from the TOS <laughs> era? What? Oh, that's what I call those old scientists. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so things you liked. We already talked about Anson Mount and 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 whatnot. What else did you like? Well, I, to be honest with you, I'm I'm a fan of the characters so far. Um, obviously, you're getting more out of uh, Rebecca Romaine as uh, as number one. She's smart. She's tough, but she's She's her own. She's a, she's not quite as emotionless as Major Barrett's version of the character. Um, she's got her own charm, and you can tell that Pike trusts her implicitly. And basically going to rescue somebody he trusts and cares for greatly is what kind of helps force him to get out of his funk. At least short term get him back in the seat of the enterprise which you he just fits so naturally in there he slides right in it's like a a, a hand in a in a glove but uh i've enjoyed now i'm looking forward to some more development of some of the characters but you're introduced to cadet nyota uhura who's on assignment on board the enterprise you're introduced do to... they do that in the navy do you know have cadets not, not on permanently um no but do they do rotations like that on ships i can't say for sure i know in the army we do have what we call cadet troop leadership training and that's where uh the summer before your senior year of rotc or uh, military academy you can vie for a spot for like 
anywhere from two to three weeks to go to an active unit and basically shadow a lieutenant. So. Okay. Okay. I was one as a cadet. Then as a lieutenant, I had a cadet follow me. As a company commander, I had a cadet assigned to my company. So my I did my best to learn when I was a cadet and to mentor when I was when I had cadets. So <clears throat> they're not extended, but this seems to be something that they like to do because that was Tilly's whole arc. So was she a cadet? She was a cadet in season one. Oh, well, there we go. And then ended up being an emperor. Or a captain, right? She ended up being a captain at the end of season one because of the mirror, the the mirror version of her. Yeah, the mirror version was like one of the top captains of the Imperial Navy. Right, right. But, so okay, you liked you like you liked a lot of characters, and you know some of them being fleshed out and their backgrounds. I'm very curious to see what they're going to do with La Nuni and Singh. <clears throat> I'm not. But I want to talk about the good things first, because I did find a lot of good things in this. Okie dokie. So Go ahead. I found the pacing to be a lot better, writing-wise. Yes. And it's because they were not... Sh- they Well, actually, you could say they were shackled to doing one story in one episode. Yes. And I, I liked that. I, I, I felt that that was good. I did like most of the characters and their and and their introductions and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the 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 episode was just absolutely gorgeously shot, uh, just uh, amazingly shot. Um, effects were top notch. Um, that's a I was reminded Enterprise of Kirk's, too. huh? That's a pretty version of the Enterprise too. It is. And I'm almost willing to look past its cannon-breaking design. I'm this close to. I'm not. I'm not as rage-filled about it as I was, you know, because it's still like the Enterprise, and I love. I love the Enterprise. Um, but I was reminded of Kirk's cabin in Generations from uh, when I, when we were at uh, <laughs> Pike's cabin. I mean, he was cooking breakfast. He hey. was making eggs. I mean, it was maybe. the same. It had to have been an homage, right? I kind of think maybe it's just the maybe that's the captain's cabin from the Enterprise. Ah. <laughs> it's like when he gives up the seat to Kirk, that becomes Kirk's house. Plus, yeah. it's like the White House. <laughs> yeah, my goodness, you know. Uh... <laughs> but you're right. There was definitely a vibe there, and I'm. I'm sure it was an homage, but it still fits with the character of Christopher Pike as already established. No, and I'm not saying it interferes with him either. I, I'm just, I, I noticed it. I couldn't help but no, to think that. Um, and it, it wasn't a bad thing. A like that, though. No, no. Eh, I'm not going to say no, but I'm not going to say yes. So, um, let's see. That was a McCoy in the... Uh... In the motion picture kind of beard. Yeah, it was. Except, but no disco leisure suit. (laughs) That would have been great. Um, So, like I said, the pacing was faster. I did like the fact that it was 
Okay. Um, I liked the solution. It worked out. It was unorthodox, but that's that's Pike for you. I, I like um, the fact I like that the solution at the end of the episode. Yeah, the unorthodox solutions. I'm okay with. Um. Now here are some nitpicky things that I know are symptoms of the writers still trying to get out of their bad habits. Mm. Um, Easter eggs. I am so freaking done with Easter eggs, man. Stop with them. Stop. Hey, don't don't be that guy. I am that guy. I don't need any more Easter eggs. I understand that this takes place in the Star Trek universe. You there need to stop trying to convince Easter us. Eggs, I really think in that one. Huh? I said I don't think there was a ton of huge oh, Easter eggs. Uh, let's see. <laughs> that they re- referenced Stamets. Uh, let's see. There's an entire okay. character that's descended from Khan Noonien Singh. Well, you're going to have to get over that. Why? Because it's, it's already part of the show. You're going to have to get over There's, it. They never, uh, first of all, Khan never sure. should have been allowed to have children. They all would have been in some kind of like, uh, detention because they were genetically modified. And that's illegal. He was probably like Genghis Khan or something. I'm sure that uh, might have been impregnating everybody. Well, that means that you have a bunch <laughs> of genetically engineered humans out there post post the uh, the genetic eugenics wars. I, I mean, I just give her just have her be the character. Don't have her be Noonien Singh. Too right? late. We're, we're kind of stuck with it. I did kind of like her backstory, though, with the uh, the Gorn. And that was my other thing. I found it interesting. It did break canon with Kirk meeting the Gorn for the first time. But I'm willing to look that over. That's not even a problem with mine. But, and we got to see this in episode two as well, every single character has a pain. And well, I get that's it. Just, that's just TV now. No, but this is different. They show the pain up front to try to show some depth rather than showing us a professional baseline for the character. Get, you know, have us establish the professional baseline. Like, we didn't even know about Riker's problem with his father until, what, season three? Two. Oh, late season two? Okay. But still, year and a half. I mean, hey, we didn't we didn't find out about the issues with Picard's mom until like 40 years after we meet Jean-Luc. Right. Well, that's my point. I mean, that it's not a great point with Picard, but still show us the professional baseline and show us that their pain doesn't rule them as they're all saying that they're afraid it does. And this is just telling me that all these writers go to a therapist every week. <laughs> I, think lot, I think a lot more people go to a therapist now in 2022 than I they did understand. in 1966. I understand, but man, does that writing show? That I mean, that that behavior shows in the writing, man. So I mean, Uhura had a, a pain uh, losing her parents early. Um, I, I mean, Spock, we saw. I'm take away Spock out of that. Forget that. Um, but who was the who was the girl? We've known Spock's pain for fifty years, man. That whole 
human Vulcan. That's concept. why I said take that out of there. So, um, you're you're right about that. That I mean, I fully acknowledge that Spock was a bad example. Um, but La- but Lon with the Gorn. I need my pain. I know, I know. But Come we already on. know that's, that's these characters character. at that point. We already knew these characters at that point. So we knew two characters. No, we only knew one character. We only knew Spock. Everybody else. You know, Chapel, Benga, uh, Pike. We knew we knew their professional baseline. Maybe and, we knew and, their and professional baseline. You don't even get any background on Uhura in the original series. Well, that's my point. We don't need to know all these backgrounds it would right still now. It'd be nice to just get a little more meat to that character because she was definitely underserved. Okay, but does it have to be losing her parents at a young age? Can it not be? I, my parents were completely supportive of me going to. Oh gosh, what was the university? Um, shoot, in Central Africa, what was it? Uh, Nairobi, maybe. It was it Nairobi? I want to say Nairobi, but I could be very wrong. You're gonna look it up. Don't look it up. We'll just no. Go, I'm we'll not just looking it up. All right. So I am, I, but I am pulling up the uh, <laughs> the wiki. Just so I can, the, the wiki for the show, just so I can refer right. a little easier. But, I mean, they could just say she was always insecure about herself, despite her parents being so supportive and loving of her. You know, or 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 maybe she might have had some kind of, like, learning disability um, when it came to language and uh, cognition. But that she worked through it, which is why she is so adept at all these languages. Because she made it happen. Like, that shows resolve. That shows a professionalism there. Uh, you know, if you don't, it's, it's a Tom Brady situation. You could, you could have all the talent in the world, but if you don't work it, fine. But if you know you're not the best talent in the world and you work your butt off properly, the right way, you could be the greatest one out there. Yeah, well, I think a little bit, and I love Brady. I just, I think it's a, a, a compulsion and obsession now. Well, it could be a, a compulsion and an obsession for her. My point is, we don't need all these characters to be in pain. Like, just just show us. Just show us, like, their professional baseline. And we can still enjoy them. Believe me, I did enjoy these, except Ortegas. Ortegas annoyed the shit out of me. <laughs> she's, she's a cocky fighter pilot. And, That's what um, you have at the helm of the Enterprise. Uh, I mean, dude, I... I actually think that kind of fits. She's a cocky pilot. Didn't Sulu fly the Enterprise? Yeah, but he, he wasn't. wasn't cocky. So I mean, I... it's just it, but it, it it's a stereotype I'm very familiar with. She she could <laughs> she could be in you know one of Maverick's new recruits in the new Top Gun, and I'm okay I, I, with that. I find her annoying as hell. Well, but, they uh, haven't really given her much depth aside from pranking Uhura and uh, wanting well, to be the best pilot in the fleet. So we're I'm sure we'll find out. In. We'll find out how much pain she's in in the next two episodes. I'm sure. So <laughs> you, guarantee, hey, I guarantee you, we are. Dark week isn't until July. I guarantee you, we are going to find that. Um, now, n- mind you, dude, everyone has pain. Uh, you're not understanding what I'm saying. I I know what you're saying. 
but everyone has pain. I get it. We're gonna they're gonna I'm wear it on. I'm not saying no one should have pain, but just stop throwing it out there the first episode and saying it rules your life. Because hey, these are well, supposed he... to be Starfleet officers, the best of the best, the people that are in danger's way all the time. You know, you know you have a first duty yourself. You lived that first duty. Yeah. And you have And yes, you can still be human and have that first duty, but you still have your duty that, that guides you first. Right? Well, you'd think so. Not everybody is like that. Even Understood. In the okay. Understood, but I mean Otherwise so far, we, we've seen we wouldn't so have any people. use for Fort Leavenworth. Yeah, good point. <laughs> but I'm just saying we've like almost every single officer we've seen in New Trek has a pain and cries. Which, to the credit, Strange New Worlds hasn't shown crying. It's been, it, again, I don't want to say this is a bad show. It, I, I found it very good. Hey, very good. You, you okay? might need to put down your harp then. I'm just saying. Now, two more things, okay? I already told you the good things. And those are very good things, right? You agree? Hey, you spent more time on the bad things. Well, because I'm worried that this is going to plague the rest of the writing for the, the show. Number two, the writers still have no concept of scientific principles. I don't understand how witnessing a manti antimatter explosion three light years away, which they should have seen next year. <laughs> <laughs> not not. Two years ago when it actually happened in real time. But I don't understand how seeing a matter-antimatter explosion gives you full-on instructions on how to create an antimatter weapon. Well, I mean, that, can... I, that I can agree with. That that <laughs> even stretched my credibility a little bit. But and, I was enjoying everything else, so I decided not to let that tank it too bad. Because we've way, seen some pretty implausible stuff, even in our favorite tricks. I know. Oh, trust me. That was a little rough. Um, and two, no, one and a half. The warp bomb. Do you remember a reference to the warp bomb in one of the books in Star Trek? Maybe. It, was, it wasn't It was by Diane Duane. I couldn't find the book, though. But it was like a big royal hardbound book. Mm -hmm. um, it was about Kirk. I don't know if he was coming back to life or if it was his last mission. Oh, Before was it one of the died? Shatner books? Might have been a Shatner book. Like, he co-wrote it with, ooh, maybe Garfield? Yeah, Judith and Garfield Reed Stevens, who who did the, the series with him. Yes. Their whole thing was the warp bomb didn't exist, but because there was an accident at an antimatter processing unit, and that exploded... And it didn't yield any kind of like antimatter radiation. Um, rumors were the bad guy ultimately wanted the the warp bomb, and the scientists were like, "It doesn't exist. It's not a thing." <laughs> so I found that interesting that they said warp bomb, and I'm like, "Oh." And by the way, that's not a knock. I just thought that was an interesting observation. So, the, by the way, that's a that's a reference in Beta Canon that I knew. So, hey, man, you were the original master beta cannon guy. Phrasing? 
<laughs> and you had to dive into I had to do it. I had to do the fourth reference. I hate you so much. <laughs> and well, lastly, stone cold victory for the caveman. Yeah. <clears throat> and lastly, they should not have shown actual events in U.S. history to make the point of uh, civil war. Well, you you heard me. Even I feel it's a little ham-fisted, and you know I like ham. Um, Shatner was ninety percent ham. Uh, ah, you say that. I don't think Shatner was ham. I think he had a <laughs> commanding style. No, I mean Shatner is ham. Oh, oh! Don't be George Decay. <laughs> I I love Shatner. I, I found George K to be particularly unnecessarily mean. So about about his Blue Origin flight. <laughs> but then well, again, I mean, I how do you know? He, how do you know that Shatner didn't send him some sort of like shitty message, like, "Hey, bitch, look who's going up in space." I I don't. He could have. Doesn't sound like his style because at this no, point, he'll, Shatner's he'll just here. There. Yeah. It would be live on Twitter or something. It would have been. He would have, I mean, if anything, he would have. But I think, actually, I think George has him blocked on Twitter. <laughs> Look, they, they've been beefing so long. I mean, they, they'll they yeah. occasionally say, no, it's overblown. <laughs> is that what those tweets say, Uncle George? <laughs> no, it's not. It is not. But. So, um, oh, and... I know that they were light that canon in, in Star Trek is very light on what US the US is now. Um it was very light on how the US existed through TOS, through TNG, all the way through, you know, whatever. We know the states stars. existed. Right. We know the states existed. But we don't know if they still exist in the Federation version that we have, uh, whatever. Well, but, um, Riker grew up in Alaska. Some people, like Kirk, grew up in Iowa. We know that the places still exist. But, you know, it's like Picard's a Frenchman. Okay. Great. You know, whatever. It's kind of like saying, okay, well, I, I I live in this town. That's basically what it boils down to. Well, and I'm not, this is not a critique on that. Where I was leading to was, um, I had read that World War III was predominantly taking place in Southeast Asia, where where the destabilization occurred after the eugenics wars, because Khan Noonien Singh had basically taken over one quarter. Now this is disputed: one quarter of the Earth or one quarter of the Earth's population. Um, it it's kind of gone phased in and out of canon just due to the fact that they can't stay on the same page. No, they cannot. I mean, um, you, it, the last episode of Picard, Project Khan. Now, they did give it 1996, which was supposedly the dates, the I think, SS from... Bay. Yeah. Did you ever read the book about Khan, uh, you know, growing up and stuff? No, I didn't. I wanted It was to. actually very well done. It was using Gary Seven and Roberta. <laughs> Um, trying to thwart Khan and everything. Yeah, it was actually it was it was an enjoyable book. I think it was a part two part book maybe. But uh, 
the way it was written was uh, would explain why us now would never know who he was. Oh, God. because it wasn't a hot, hot war. You know, it was like a cold eugenics war. Well, from what I, I gleaned at it, it was that there was a series of wars, kind of like these Southeast Asian conflicts. Right. You know, because the eugenics wars kind of were thought up, you know, in, in the 60s. Uh, right. When there were all these wars going on in Asia. <laughs> so I think it was a, more of a product of the time. Yeah. You know? I I'm actually surprised they didn't, you know, dump the Middle East or fucking Central Europe on us. But look, as well, much I as I just, as, as much as I think that they went they went a little too hard on the you know, the, the 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 current political state. Yeah. Shall we say? <laughs> Because that's what the writers have been doing, by the way. But here's the like, thing. I mean, one, you know, the biggest fear that we're dealing with with the whole Russia and Ukraine is it's one of the reasons that a lot of the major Western powers are, are hesitant to commit more fully to support Ukraine is because you've got a madman with a finger on a fucking nuclear warhead. Hundreds of nuclear warheads. Well, he's going to be dead by August, my people tell me. God, I hope so. Yeah, my people tell me this. I don't care Top what the Romulans are telling people. you. Top. But my point is, um, is that if this country was to destabilize and the nuclear missiles that we have would fall into the wrong hands, yeah, that could be a problem. Could be. There was a lot I of fears still, when the Soviet Union fell, and then all of these little breakaway countries ended up having, you know, countries, well, you know, some that were like, oh, now they're the sixth largest nuclear power in the fucking world. Right. Well, Ukraine was that one. I mean, that's, it's, and by thinking of that, they never should have given up their, their, their nukes. But, I mean, that's, that's history is 2020, hindsight and everything, of course. But, Look, that, that's where I'll say I think it was a little heavy-handed, but Discovery, Picard, they've been pretty heavy-handed with some of their right. history, we don't, and of course. We don't need that. But these are the symptoms of, of the writing that I'm worried about. Now, again, I was actually watching this with my son, uh, the, the first episode. And what like, do you oh. think? And he heard my reactions to certain things. And he stops and he looks up and he goes, so wait, is this the bad Trek or is this the good Trek? And I laughed. <laughs> and I'm like, it's definitely not bad. <laughs> too, too, at the, you basically should say it's kind of too soon to tell, but. I, I did say, uh, jury's out, but it's, so far it's not bad. Of so. All the new series, and I, and I, will, I will add Lower Decks, but I won't include prodigy because i've never seen prodigy but of all the new series in my opinion this had the strongest first episode i mean discovery was intense its first episode picard had some good moments lower decks well i got a lot of laughs out of it you know 
at some of the absurdity, but as far as a Star Trek pilot, this was one of the better ones in a long time. No, I agree. I agree. I rewatched Emissary the other day. Widely uh, considered to be one of the best, if not the best, pilot of a Star Trek series. I would say so. Um, and I'm going to hate myself for this. Or you might be pleasantly surprised. I would say that this episode rates above the Enterprise pilot, which I always felt was the second best pilot episode. Broken Bow? Yeah. You know, for I think what, Strange for New what Worlds was, rates it... above Broken Bow. Not bad. Hey, I'm telling you, I, I know I threw out a, a, a shovel load of critiques. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily call it, you know, negativity, but I'm just saying, you know, I can I can be critical and still like it. Well, no, no one that and that is being human. I mean, there you can definitely like something and still say, you know, the pacing might have been a little off or this felt a little too long, a little too short, you know, a little tacked on but overall I mean that's how we evaluate people you know in the workplace hey you know you're overall you're doing really good but there's just a couple of things I need you to work on yeah no exactly so all right so that's episode one what would you rate it on a scale of one to ten eight I agree I agree um uh I'll do seven and a half <laughs> why 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 just stick with eight fine i'll stick with eight no just kidding i was because, a joke dude it's a, it's a joke it's a momentous occasion it's a joke that's my point <laughs> it it was a very solid start it it i enjoyed it from start to finish i like i like anson mount as christopher pike at in this role, I think he's comfortable. We know this. We've already right. no, no, no. But I, I'm I'm making a point. I think he's very comfortable in the role. He's enjoyable and engaging, and he, how he works as Pike, his leadership, and his personal interactions are very good. <clears throat> which you really start to see more in the next episode, which is a very strong Uhura episode. I felt that this episode was much stronger than the pilot episode. Hey, great. Throwing it out right there right now. So let, let had, me do the summary it, on this one. Yeah, do a summary. It had a little bit of close encounters of the third kind. <laughs> it did. So um, as we already alluded to, um, uh, the crew uh, decides to, uh, they don't decide, Captain Pike decides to throw the crew, senior crew, I don't know, some, some of the, the crew. crew. There, was some, a, they were missing a few. Yeah. Uh, dinner at his place where he's making ribs and stuff. Um, at this, we get to meet the, the chief engineer, the ANR, what's his name? Hemmer. Hemmer. Who's played um, by an actual blind actor. That's a real last name, by the way, Hemmer. Did you know that? It's German. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so, uh, you know, everyone's having a good time talking. Uhura shows up in her dress uniform because Ortega is, you know, being who she is. Pilot. Uh, tricked her into it. Uh, <laughs> pilot. 
pilot. You you do have a certain attitude towards pilots. I gotta say, this is interesting. We might have to drill down on this one one day. So, <laughs> um, so they all sit down, and <laughs> Pike goes to Uhura after you know, some banter back and forth and. Whatnot. By the way, goes, the, well, the Nausicaan story was hilarious. Yes, the Nausicaan story, which I always wondered, okay, is are the Nausicaans known, or are they supposed to be known at this point, or is that another Easter egg? No, like, Nausicaan showed up in Enterprise. Did they? they yes, they are long, long, raider, they've long been known as space pirates, raiders, and okay. bodyguards. All right. Yeah. All right, that's fine. I mean, no, I, it, I, it wasn't, it, it was... It's not a true Easter egg in the fact that, like, ooh, but it is. I forgot about the Enterprise episode. It's just it's swimming in in the in the Star Trek pool. You, it's a familiar race. It's one that makes sense for the story he's telling. Did we hell- though before Enterprise only see the Nausicans once, and maybe they talked about the Nausicans briefly in D Space Nine? Well, they were talked. Uh, Brunt actually, I think, had Nausicaan bodyguards. Well, he may have. I want to say they've shown up a handful of times, and of course, they've since their appearance in Tapestry, they've kind of had a background of like in the it's underworld. Yeah. yeah, because they're okay. kind of a lawless. You know, they're kind of space pirates. Well, this was not an argument that I'm willing to have because I'm again, I'm not critical of it. It was just a a question, you know, Um, like I said, I think it fits. It's better than inventing some random race, which they have a habit of doing sometimes. Looking at you, Zenkathy. Um, (laughs) I listened to that episode today. Your hatred of that is so hilarious. I I do. I, I don't disagree that they could have used an existing race. Just as it could have. Just please. Tholians, please. Something. Yeah, um, you're right. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, but the way he told the story, he's cracking up his crew. That's good leadership. This, yes. this goes back to where Pike was trying to rebuild the morale of Discovery after the whole Lorca thing. Correct. And yeah, he's, so. he's, he's using humor to get, help the crew get at ease with each other. Self-deprecation. Yep. And showing that he's got a sense of humor about himself, which means that he's not such a severe person um, he's not for unnecessary on things. Not a either. Right. So, no, all good psychological development That processes. was a good scene. Yeah. Um, and while I think it was a little, you know, the intro with Uhura and Hammer was, you know, a little contrived. A little. Then again, the Anar were already a dying race in Enterprise. So the right. fact that, and like the Andorians had lost contact with them for a couple of hundred years, weren't even sure there were any left when they rediscovered them. So the fact that there is one openly serving in Starfleet, which at that time was still not particularly well mixed, it's pretty interesting. So I'm sure the Anar were as much a mystery to most people, but I like, I like his attitude. Yeah. yeah, he's, he's a little <laughs> bit of a smart ass, and even after busting Uhura's chops with Spock, kind of looking mm-hmm. over his shoulder, Uhura gives him a couple of answers, you know, a couple of answers that he appreciates, and as she's walking away, he's like, "I like her." Yeah, yeah. 
I want to no. see more of him. He he he's his level we are of, gonna... his level of snark, like when they're talking about having to send this uh, the rockets. He's like, yeah, you're not the one retrofitting all this shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I, sure I want to see I want to see more of him. It'll be interesting, and we will. I know. And I mean, of course, Vega, we will. Who was just when woefully missing from the last episode. I was fine with that. That's probably why that the episode was much better than the pilot. You didn't so. like Mbenga? Oh, no. I thought you said Ortega. I'm sorry. Uh, Mbenga, the doctor. No, I love Mbenga. I thought it was great. I, 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 I liked his approach. It does feel a little cannon-breaking. If he's the CMO of the Enterprise now, why wouldn't he live? But I'm willing right. to work with it because I like how he was presented in the pilot. Right. So. Oh, I forgot to tell you, um, a channel I, I watch that does reviews was reviewing the pilot episode of Strange New Worlds. <laughs> he did not have as glowing a thought process as I did, but man, was he taken with Nurse Chapel. Oh, my God. Oh, like drooling. He was smitten. He was like just She's fun. I like her that, attitude. No, he was no. We're talking like a superficial, like oh my gosh, like she is beautiful. Jokey. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean she's she's a very attractive woman. Did it could, kept cutting into his like hatred, and, like saying, and "Now we have this really hot nurse that just oh my gosh." I mean, she must look in the mirror and just know how much I love her. <laughs> <laughs> So crass. Yes, it was crass, but she is, like, she is beautiful. I will not her. disagree with it on that. Yes, but I and look, I just, it, it, Major Barrett wasn't given a whole ton to work with as Christine Chapel at all. No, I you do. Know, the, yes, Doctor, do this. You know that sort of thing, and the occasional forlorn, you know, love lost crush on Spock. Well, how often were women nurses actually developed in that era? Maybe in the odd hospital thing when they were actually. But But you're right. uh, That was a product of the times, unfortunately. Man, doctor, woman, nurse. Yeah. I got it. I get it. Believe me. Um, I mean, so she she had plenty to do to, to just make this character her own. Like I said, no knock on on Major Barrett. The only character she got a chance to develop in Star Trek, though, was was the walk out of Troy. Right. So I mean, but it's funny when you say Loxana because I always heard Loxana. Like I, I felt like the W was silent, like Cool Whip. No, it's not. What the rewatch? Cool rewatch one of the episodes with her that you actually like, and then. You'll hear it. Oh, well, I'll watch the lighthearted one about Dark Page. Great That's episode. Great Tough one. It, it was maybe her best episode. Yeah, she deserved an Emmy, actually. Um, it was heartbreaking. Anyway, going back. Going back. But ultimately, Jess Bush as Christine Chapel brings some energy. Do you have their the cast list in front of you? I do. Okay, good, good, good. 
<laughs> she's got energy to her, and that that's no. And I uh, I find I find her take on Nurse Chapel refreshing. Yes, it's not annoying. It's it's actually quite it's quite fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the actress playing Uhura too, Celia Rose Gooding. She is very. You can tell you you get the vibe that this is a young person. I I liked her more in the pilot. She kind of rubbed me the wrong way. They played the insecurity part way too much. Maybe a little. She should have been more confident with her abilities. And especially with all the support she got from from the surrounding crew, which, by the way, great to see. Mm-hmm. It was great to see, you know, you had Sam Kirk, Lieutenant Kirk, that showed up at the end of the pilot. Whom we With all the were mustache, like, purely yeah. because in the original series, Operation Annihilate, William Shatner just does the body double with a mustache as his brother. Right, yeah. <laughs> that is but such isn't George's brother? Dude. Yeah, it's George Samuel Kirk. Oh, and he's he goes the guy's by Sam? Full name. He goes by Sam, yeah. Because oh, their okay. father was George Kirk. He's like George Samuel Jr. or something like that. Right, okay. All right, well, so there we he go. he goes by Sam. <clears throat> All right, so that being said, Sam <laughs> Sam Kirk shows up the pilot. There is a comet that's about to hit this pre-industrial you know, pre planet. By mm-hmm. the way, that opening scene with that, that native species there in that sand area. Yeah. Very heavily used in Stargate SG-1. In Stargate Atlantis. It kind of looked like the opening scene from Discovery's pilot. I, uh, like beating down serepitously to like fix a water supply or something like that. Yeah, completely destroying the Prime Directive. But. <laughs> well, that's um, even earlier than this, so. Right. But I, I found that I, that was the first thought that came through my head. Anyway, Comet's about to, to hit this planet, so the Enterprise is like, well, let's, we're here. Let's see if we can try to save them, which I'm still wondering. I, I'm wondering if, this is, a, this is an academic question, okay? Because I'm thinking of the episode where Data meets that girl on that volcanic planet that's about to die. Mm-hmm. Or was it, oh, no. Um, Pen Pals. Yeah, pen pals. I'm thinking of pen pals, and I'm also thinking of the episode where Worf sees his son. Uh, I'm sorry, brother Nikolai. Um, oh yeah, and I'm trying to remember we, the name of that one. It's not brothers. <laughs> Definitely not brothers. No, no, no. But um, I, I know what you're talking about. His brother is a Federation observer who basically starts hooking up. Huh? Yeah. yeah. But he's hooking up with. By the way, that was Penny Johnson. Oh, it was. It was Penny Johnson. Shoot, dude. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, and, and Picard, you know, Nikolai goes to Picard and says, you have the ability to save these people. Let's do it. Now, I'm thinking they didn't have the ability to save the environment, but they had the ability to take the population off, which he refused to do because that would violate the prime directive. I know. The prime directive is always a... It's kind of one of those plot devices. It's like, oh, we can't do this until we break the prime directive. Right. So the idea of destroying the comet was a little... I questioned it, but 
that was just more of an academic question. Like what you know, they should have done was beam down a crew of uh, oil drillers to blow it up. Matt Damon, shame on you. Oh, it's not Matt Damon. It was Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. Shoot. <laughs> and Liv Tyler. Yeah. Steve Buscemi, Bruce Willis. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't want to pay taxes. Ever. <laughs> hey, do you know how much more you take home? Right. Oh, yeah. Twice. We're going to save the world. So, okay. Yeah. All right. You don't have to pay taxes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Chuck Norris joke. Chuck Norris has never had to pay taxes ever. ever. On April 1st, or on April 15th, he just mails in a picture of himself. Yeah. Chuck Norris has never had to pay taxes ever. Yeah. That was on the list of, of Chuck Norris facts that Chuck Norris read on TV one time. Like, hey, that is completely not true. I pay my taxes every year. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <clears throat> um... So they decide to shoot the, the comet. Comet has shields. Well, that's not a comet. Why does a comet have shields? So they send down a landing party. Uhura's on there. Sam Kirk's on there. Spock's on there. Is there anyone else on there? Yes. Your least favorite character. Ortega's? Your other least favorite character. Listen, I like the character of La'an. Trust me. Okay. But I don't think that she should have been a Noonie saying. Fair enough. Uh, so okay. Gorn Bait beams down with her. With Gorn them. Survivor. Hello. Gorn Survivor. So those By the way, I really liked the whole Gorn backstory thing. I thought they did a pretty decent job with developing the... Kind of giving you back... It was dark, but it was also... Uh, dark. It, it was also uh, kind of a cultural thing that they put in there. So Anyway... Yeah. Um, Reminded me of the Reavers, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nice pull. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, that was that was the team. And, of course, she, I, I, I love the fact that they eventually, because Kirk gets knocked out. He's like the xenoanthropologist. He gets he too gets, close to the egg artifact in the center of this cavern that has a natural environment. Which I kind of thought was like going to, it was going to be like an actual egg or something. I thought so too. I, I found I'm, that I'm glad I, it wasn't because it it seemed predictable. What I really like about this part is, and yes, you got the insecurities, but she is a cadet there on the flagship of the Federation. So if you have any secure insecurities at all about your capabilities, it's going to be magnified. I, I'm fair, fair, but with a little. Prodding from Spock, by the way. I love how she gives him shit about his pep talks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty good. She's like, you're really not good at this. He's like, yeah. But, well, I found Spock supportive. I like that. He, he, yeah. Uhura I, he was, had support by all members of that landing party. Exactly. Which I found nice. I found it encouraging. I found it a little mm-hmm. insipid that she kept saying, little old me. Like, no, no, you are better than that. You know this. Stop it. Um, I hope they kind of wipe that out um, soon. soon. But, hey, maybe all of this confidence she got on this will kind of help bury that. But I love right. the fact that they figured out that in, they they should develop very early, that she kind of hums when she's thinking, mm-hmm. which they noticed in Pike's quarters. And then it kind of starts setting things off. And then that starts 
kicking in her linguistics. And yep. I and like they were it. able to the, figure out a with, translation with through and, sonic and, through harmonics, basically. Right, which I enjoyed. I thought plus the melody was nice, which I don't mind. No, plus, it was fine. Plus, yeah. try to break Spock out of his show, having him like do the low note, <laughs> yeah. which and all I, I could enjoyed. Think was... It was fun. It was. It was just that was fun because you could and see then the Spock shepherds tra- roll up. Yeah. The, sh- the shepherds roll up looking like an angry biker gang. Yeah, we are the shepherds. And, and Pike goes, really? <laughs> I, I, I like, what was it? Was it, was it if, if it was in episode one or episode two where he's like, I really love this job. I, I think it was episode one. one. It's just, yeah. I like that aspect of him. It's, no, that's fine. I, I wish... I, I can understand why you like it, and that's fine. I feel it goes a little against the professional archetype, but I get it. We can respectfully agree to disagree on this one. Well, what I like because about it, I'm not going to die on the hill. Here's <laughs> here's what I like about that is that that is Pike's personality. Sure, and it contrasts between the pain he's feeling inside. He at times it, you can definitely tell he's smiling and doing these and cracking these jokes. When he's having this, you know, foreboding in his heart. Sure. Which is some pretty good compartmentalization and some pretty good leadership. Oh, yeah. Only the two people who know him really well, Spock and number one, are the ones who really are able to get some answers to him. And that's one of the things I liked about the end of the episode is conversation with Una. Yes. Now, to finish this up with the plot, because I found the plot actually pretty ingenious. Yeah. Um, the, the shepherds were there to, to f- make sure that the comet was not going to be interfered with by outside forces and let the comet do what the comet was supposed to do. And if that means well, the crashing comet into is the planet, like God or something. Or yeah. Like- then that was what the comet was meant to do. That's what it, they, uh, mm, I, I don't even remember the, the word. It was almost similar to mother, like Maga, Umaga or something. Yeah. No. Moogie. You know what it I mean? It was Moogie. Yeah. Let's go with Moogie. So Moogie, if if she's going to hit the planet, then she's supposed to hit the planet. And then they're mad that there's Enterprise crew on, on the comet, and they won't let the let the Enterprise take the crew off. Fine. Um, and <laughs> the Shepherds are like, well, listen, this is our cultural belief system. Do you have a faith of your own? And I forgot what he, what Pike says, but he's respectful in his answer. Um and ultimately, what they do is well, it's a little Spock of hand, huh? It's sleight of hand. Well, yes. What they they try to show that the Enterprise is not interfering with moving the comet, but what they realize is that they can have the comet sublimate some of its water, which will create an injection that kind of pushes it enough to get to miss the planet. But parts of the comet will fall into the atmosphere. Fine. But the comet itself will miss it. Um, and they use Spock flies a shuttle all through the corona of the the comet on the one side, uh, never touching it, 
Never getting, never I'm touching, not it. touching it. I'm not touching I'm not it. I'm not touching it. It, it, it. it feels like it was almost like a backseat sibling. Yeah. I'm not touching you. I'm not yeah. touching you. But they use the heat shields or whatever to, which that is not what a heat shield is, but that's fine. They use some warming element to warm the, the, the comet. Um, and that then was, that Spockle let out his, um, Every other year, a supply of Vulcan flatulence. Oh, God. Oh, God. When they said heat shield, I, snar- I snorted because it was right up there with cold fusion. Both scenes in which Spock was prominent in, by the way. Um, the cold fusion bomb. <laughs> it freezes a volcano. Okay. Um, again, writers have no understanding of what science is. Um what was I going to say? Okay, so Comet moves, and then uh, they notice that the water off the Comet is seeding the atmosphere with more moisture. Now, questionable how much more moisture it would add from a singular Comet, but there is a theory that the Earth was seeded by Comets to create all the H2O that we have on our planet, but a lot of Comets. So... <laughs> um, hey, but, look. Uh, it's a- it, this also looks like it might be a violation of the Prime Directive, too, because from what they're saying is it's going to drastically drastically change the entire ecosystem of the planet. Right, right. Well, that was the other... Rather than oh, just but living... I'm not touching it, Admiral. They're, I'm not touching it. Their ecosystem was going to drastically change, probably for the better, by human standards, by the way. Because these, these aliens grew up in a very parched environment, for millions of years. <laughs> well, it did change for the better that uh, the comet didn't slam into them and kill them all. I this guess. is true. This is true. So but, uh, anyway, let's just assume that it made the planet better. Um, and then the shepherds like, we don't Do you know. See... We'll never see him again. Star Trek. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and I the shepherds like lecture Pike going, we the... hope next time. Yeah. We hope next time you'll have more faith in other people's, uh, you know, faith of what was supposed to happen. And then they have this they question of Pike like to have more faith of the heart. I knew you were going to go there. That's why I changed direction. Um, but then we have this interesting question of did this Moogie make it happen? Or did they or, or did Moogie was was Moogie always going to change the comet? Or was Moogie meant to influence the Enterprise crew to change the comet trajectory? And ultimately, they ended up going, I don't know. Could have been either. It was an ambiguous ending towards that scenario. That is not something we have seen in Star Trek since 2005. Honestly. And I found that very refreshing. It it was. It was nice. Um, We we were reaching the point where... We were able to say, hey, even we don't know. And we're Star Trek. Yes. But it wasn't preachy. It looked at both sides. And it basically allowed allowed for people to draw their own conclusions based off of the evidence at hand. Which, Which, of course, I think made it a little stronger than the preceding episode. Right. But... Yeah, it, it was it was good character development for several of the characters. I I enjoyed both of the, these episodes. 
Yes, me too. And can we um, talk about Captain Pike's plot armor? Oh, that he now because he he knows when he's going to die. Exactly. <laughs> that he he can he can act with near impunity because <laughs> he knows the exact moment of when he's going to quote unquote die as the person he knows. Well, he does have plot armor per se, but when you listen to his conversations, he he doesn't act like it. Well, that's that's my point. I think that the writers are missing the obvious here. They bring it up with Spock. Spock brings it up going, well, should you not have more power over your own destiny knowing in which direction it's going? Like, don't then that just frees you up not to worry about your death at this point. Well, really, what I'm sure it's going to do is he he's going to start, uh, you know, wooing every alien that he meets Kirk style. <laughs> That's not the style nowadays. You can't do that. I didn't say male or female. <sighs> Indiscriminate. Indiscriminate, consequence-free, estual relations is not the style nowadays when it comes to sci-fi. They they may use it as a plot device in one episode with an alien, but... If it's going old Star Trek style, it's going to happen a lot. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Everybody's I'm looking at Rob Lowe's character in the Orville for that episode. So <laughs> <What's> that? <laughs> I'm looking at Rob Lowe's character in the Orville for that episode. <laughs> that's exactly what that's exactly what you were just describing that's exactly what you were just describing sure the Orville did it first <laughs> and the Simpsons probably did it before Seth MacFarlane oh uh, yeah probably <laughs> yeah and then I've had to have a few conversations with Mac Jr. about that but that's another day all because did of you, the Simpsons. <laughs> did you ever see the roast of Charlie Sheen? No. It no. was absolutely hysterical. And Mike, it, Seth MacFarlane was the roast master, and Mike Tyson was one of the roasters. Oh. So you, but Tyson gets up and he's strange. But man, did he zing! Oh, he started <laughs> quoting. He started quoting from the Iliad. And then he looked over at, at Seth. He's like, see, I'm not the only guy here stealing from Homer. <laughs> Which killed McFarlane. He was doubled <laughs> over. I, I'm not entirely sure as many people got the joke. But I don't I, I would I don't think that the large I don't think a large part percentage of that audience understood at, at all. So, <laughs> well, I think they got that it was a Simpsons reference, uh, definitely. But I laughed my ass off just based oh. off of the, the, you know, historical factor. That being said, well played, Mike. Well played. Oh, it's right up uh, there with uh, Germany playing France in the uh, World Cup, but they had to go through Belgium to do it. Oh, such a great <laughs> point. The Germans always beat the French, but they have to go through Belgium first. <laughs> The man was a certifiable <laughs> genius. That's the third time we brought up that joke. It is my fault I brought it up tonight. But Never man, is it so good. Yes. So, uh, oh. But comedian died. Well, maybe a little. 
I can understand the trauma of seeing your death and having Pike take time off. Perfectly reasonable for me for him to do that, right? Oh yeah. And but, I, it's kind of interesting how he's like seen that horrible scarred face and like some reflective glass a few times. Yeah. Um, that is a significant trauma. Like he didn't just see it; he almost like lived it with the time crystals. It. Yeah. And yeah. the reaction, his pure, unadulterated horror—that should have won Anson Mount an Emmy for that scene alone. It was so visceral. And now, here's my question. Yeah. Here's my question. So they made the point to have him learn his fate in Discovery. And he was about, he was in the middle of a big firefight at the end of Discovery season two. Mm -hmm. He literally watched a a photon torpedo blow up through a window. Yep. Do you think their original plan was to have him, like, have him be scarred and become the invalid that we knew at the end of season two or well then that or, or did they, and they change their mind breaking canon huh that would have ex- excruciatingly busted canon well at that point why do why would they care like they they obviously didn't care about canon at that point discovery <laughs> I, so, I do like the fact that they made improvements with that going forward I'm just saying that they have been better. But I I don't know. Could that have been an earlier draft? Sure. I bet it was. I bet they fully intended on having him go through that. And then through the dailies and and they must have done test screenings or something. They probably realized how much more powerful he was as a character to keep, you know, potentially in the future. That's my thought. But then again, that shows that shows good studio development and planning, which at that point was not very well looked upon. <laughs> well, the thing we can actually say is we both enjoy Strange New Worlds. Yes. Yes. It's not perfect, but to be honest with you, very think very few things really are. Um, no, you can you can look back on some of the greatest TV shows and movies of all time and find things to critique about them. Right. So. No. And uh, all I'm saying is I, I, I'm delightfully surprised at how much I am liking Strange New Worlds. I'm just still seeing vestiges of previous writers in this that I thought that they would be able to figure out is wrong. Well, obviously, they have work to do then with that, but... Maybe you need to give credit to the fact they've come so far. Maybe. Uh, You know, but... I don't know, man. Picard burned me not once, but twice. So, you'll have to forgive me for, for being so cautious, shields up, yellow alert on this. You know? <laughs> I, I respect that. I respect that. But don't let that keep you from enjoying something that is good. It's it's right now. It's currently the highest rated Star Trek show on Rotten Tomatoes, which proves by the audience. Like it, 
I believe. Audience. I don't trust the critics at this point. I'll trust the audience. Well, the audience is is on board. Uh, a lot of uh, the, a lot of the review sites are giving it pretty good reviews. Dead air. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. Strange new worlds. Um, <clears throat> let's see. RottenTomatoes.com. Look at that. Uh, average audience score eighty two percent. Agreed. Now, I mean, you got to understand. I mean, Discovery had a fresh rating of ninety eight percent with the critics. Uh, the critics mean nothing at this point in the game. No, I know. I am, I am enjoying it though. I really am because they're not afraid to have fun. Well, why were they afraid to have fun in the first place? I don't know. I mean, Discovery fluctuate like they had like the one episode where they had like the dance sequence in the mess hall, and that was it. Everything else is. And, you know, all the long plots and you, you, like we've talked about, you can't really get a bottle episode in these long, in these 10, 12 se- uh, episode season story arcs. You don't right. really, you don't can't really afford a, a bottle episode. And the thing about the, the thing about that, and I, we've talked about it when you do. When you do multi-episode arcs, you lose the opportunity to have an episode like City on the Edge of Forever or Inner Light or um, The Visitor. Trouble with Tribbles. Trouble with Tribbles or The Visitor from DS9. Probably one of the most amazing DS9 episodes that I ever watched. Um, but you, you, You're right. There are times where you don't get to have the, the seminal episode. Right. Or that... or the fun episode, the magnificent Ferengi. Yes. The fistful of datas. The <laughs> you know I the mean, you, trial, you gotta, trials and tribulations, man, you know. And you gotta you gotta say Nothing this the... more fan service than trials and tribulations. No. no, but they did it in such a good way. I mean and again, there's nothing wrong with fan service as long as you do it the right way. Um, Little green. I hand. will say this: the strength of the episodic structure is in the fact that you can have those seminal episodes where the, they they basically define the entire series, right? Those very mm-hmm. special moments, like everyone will, everyone knows what happened in the city on the edge of forever in some form or another. Um, yeah. But here's the corollary. The ep- in the episodic structure, you also are strong enough to be able to withstand a crappy episode. Because the entire series is not built upon that episode again and again. It's right. by itself. And therefore, the series would be able to be able to just move on and be stronger for it. I agree. So, that being said, with you actually agreeing with me, I think that's a good time to go out. I, you're not wrong. 
Ah, there it is. I was waiting for it. I knew it. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh... <laughs> All right. Any last parting words? I look forward to watching episode three tomorrow. I really do. I want to see it build. I have hope. That's a, that's a good that's a good thing to say. I mean, I'm actually looking forward to seeing it too with Picard. And I gave up on Discovery season four, but with Picard, I just let the the episodes pile up so I could just get it all done in one sitting because I had no desire to watch every week. <laughs> it just didn't. I didn't look forward to it. I actually watched it for the business of watching it and talking about it here, really. But that was it. That was the only reason why I watched it. Well, so that being said, here's hoping they don't disappoint us next year. Here's the hope that they aren't. And with that, everyone, I am PSVK. Please follow us on Twitter at PSVK um, or at those Sci-Fi Guys. Let us know follow what you guys think. Sci-Fi Guys, come on, don't be those guys. Right. And you can also see episode information at those Sci-Fi Guys or www.thosesci-figuys.com. I'm P.S. McKay. You guys hang in there. And apparently, you keep dreaming, we'll keep working. And we'll see you on the high ground. There it is. There it is. Jacket. Those Sci-Fi Guys is an independent broadcast by Alpha Site Productions, produced by D.T. Cavman and P.S. McKay. Music courtesy of Kevin Cloud at Incompetech.com. For more information on upcoming episodes, follow P.S. McKay on Twitter at P.S. McKay, or go to thosesci-fi-guys.com for past episode information. <laughs>